noticed a new face up here today behind the pulpit leading our singing and and for us Ellie has been around for a little while uh, her name is Ellie Craven and Ellie is a, uh, a music teacher at Madison Ridgeland Academy and and she is also our new uh, traditional worship director and so if you haven't got a chance to welcome Ellie into our fellowship I, I'd encourage you to do so soon she's been terrific and uh I just today as she got up there and was leading for the first time, I was like, I bet there's some people out there who don't know Ellie yet. But she's great. Introduce yourself to her. Uh, I want to ask you if you've ever heard this saying, because it is a very, it's a very Presbyterian, Presbyterian saying. It is everything decently and in order. Have you ever heard that before? It might just be the most Presbyterian thing of all times. Everything decently and in order. But it's actually from the Bible. And it's actually from our reading for today. And the context of everything decently in order is the worship service. And, and so Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And if you can remember what we've been studying, the, the church in Corinth has a lot of conflict. And, uh, and some of that conflict deals with the worship service. How you take the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts. And it appears that someone has written to Paul... And they probably said something like, Paul, you, you planted this church. You're an apostle. We really need you to help us understand how spiritual gifts work and, and really how they work and should work in the worship service. So um, in response to their questions about spiritual gifts, Paul starts to, to give them answers, but maybe not where you might think. Well, the way he starts is before he gives them answers specifically, he says, listen, the first thing, you're all part of the body of Christ. Before we get to that stuff about the spirit that can divide people, you need to know that, that we're all part of the body, that an eye can't say to the ear that you don't belong. That being said, Paul wants the church in Corinth to be more excited about loving one another than about spiritual gifts. He says, desire spiritual gifts, but love is the more excellent way. But after that groundwork is laid, Paul gets into the specifics of spiritual gifts in Corinthians chapter 14. And if you were here two weeks ago, we preached on this last week. We took a break from the Corinthians to talk about elders. And the logic that Paul gives to the Corinthians in understanding spiritual gifts was this. When it comes to the worship service, prophecy is better than tongues. Now, uh, we need to remember, uh, you know, a few weeks back we had to define the word prophecy. Like, what does that mean? Here in the New Testament church, it was, it was speaking about the mighty works of God. For the Puritans, prophecy was, was simply preaching. So maybe th th that's a great thing for us to think about when we talk about 
uh, prophecy here in the New Testament. It's, it's just getting up front. Maybe it's just teaching about, about God in, in simple terms that people could understand. So what Paul is saying in the, in the first half of chapter 14 was, it's better for everyone in the church when we clearly proclaim the word of God. But tongues doesn't really edify people because really no one understands what you're saying. Have you ever heard that term before? Because we're going to be using it today a lot. The word edify. It comes from a Greek word, and it kind of has two words that are put together. The first word means to build, and the second word means the house. And so Paul, when he talks about edifying, it's basically saying to build the house. And he's really talking about the church. So, so edification is a building up of the church. And so what Paul is basically saying is it's better uh, to, to prophesy for building the church or building the house than it is to speak in tongues. So let's not waste any time. Let's jump right into 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40. I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand. And we will read together after we pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Today we pray that where our hearts differ from your word, you would bring conviction. God, we pray that you would bring patience with us as we work through your word. In Christ's name we pray. And the church said, amen. Well, let's read together. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue... Let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent." For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn... Let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever, and this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. You know, I've said this before, but when you... Uh, set yourself up as a church to exposit the Word of God verse by verse by verse, there is no getting around the hard stuff, is there? This is a verse that I bet a lot of preachers would just like to leave on the shelf 
because you, you're forced to make statements, you're forced to make stands. It, it's sometimes tough to preach. But listen, let us be gracious one to another, right? Uh, I'll be gracious to you, you be gracious to me. Let's do our work today as we come to it. If I was to summarize our reading today into one sentence, I might say it like this. The worship of God's people should be ordered so that everyone in the church can be edified, can be built up, right? And, and here's what's going on. Paul is, uh, he's moved on from the church in Corinth, and he's, he's getting messages from the people he knew there. And what they're describing to him is all kinds of chaos in the worship service in Corinth. If you've been here in previous weeks, you remember that we've discussed this before. There was this influx of influences from pagan religions, and they were showing up in the worship in Corinth. And these practices from pagan religions were being blended with Christian worship practices, and what resulted was just chaotic. And, and you know what's interesting in my studies of, of, of the church in Corinth is, as you know that when we talk about the church in Corinth, that elders are never really mentioned? It's really, it's really an early apostle, or an epistle, excuse me, the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians is really, really early. But, but we don't ever in the book of 1 Corinthians read about elder leadership. You read about the leadership of teachers, and you read about the leadership of, of prophets, but boy, this church feels like it could use some elders. It appears to be the case that the church in Corinth does not have good leadership. And they have different factions and different groups. And all those factions and groups, they're all vying for authority in the church. And those different factions and groups have different understandings of how spiritual gifts like, like tongues and prophecy should be used in worship. And so, you know, when they get together for worship, there's not a real authoritative, clear leadership. So therefore, a bunch of different people all show up with different ideas and different plans for what the worship service is going to look like that day. You've got 14 people who think they're supposed to be the lead vocalist that morning. They're right, they've all showed up, and they've all picked out songs they're going to sing. And, and so one will start singing a song, and the other one's like, that's nothing, listen to this. And then she'll start singing over top of them, right? You remember, like, it's like every... Uh, Every band I played in in high school, like, I, you know, like I, I played guitar and I wanted to start a rock and roll band. And every band I played in in high school, you'd, have, you'd all show up and there'd be no leader. And so, you know, you'd have the guitar player to be over there playing Stairway to Heaven and the drummer be playing something. And they all different because they only know the intro to songs. That's all. And so, so it's just this messed up. You have eight different people showing up in Corinth wanting to preach, wanting to prophesy. They've all prepared sermons. You've got a bunch of people showing up to worship in Corinth who all speak in tongues, and they're all planning on speaking in tongues that day in church. And as they show up and worship begins, it just unfolds into chaos. There's like six people talking. There's two songs being played. Look what Paul says in our scripture, verse 26. What then, brothers? It's the question. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. I think some people misunderstand this verse. I think sometimes people use this verse as instructive. They say, uh, 
what Paul is, is teaching is that in the church, everyone gets to bring something, right? We all get to bring something. And let's just see what happens on Sunday. But I don't think that's what's happening. It's Paul saying, what then, brothers? Like, each of you has a hymn? Everyone has a lesson? Everyone has a revelation or a tongue? I think it's kind of sarcastic. Paul's trying to, um, to overcome this sort of disorder in Christian worship. And the goal is edification, which was a word we've addressed, through order. And Paul's going to address this in three specific areas. He's going to address it as it involves speaking in tongues, as it involves prophecy, and as it involves the speech of women. So let's talk about these one at a time, beginning with speaking in tongues. Verses 27 through 28, let's read that together. If any speak in tongues... Let there be only two or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Okay, so the first rule that Paul gives for speaking in tongues as it pertains to the worship service is this. Don't have a bunch of people all speaking in tongues at the same time. No one's going to understand it. It's, it's chaotic. And, you know, I, I can remember, uh, I used this illustration way too much. It probably makes my wife uncomfortable, but I dated this really charismatic girl in high school, okay? Maybe, maybe the height of my charismatic exposure. And, and the two things I told you one day is that I remember being with her one day, and her dad came home, and he had a black eye, and, and, and they were like, what happened? And he goes, well, someone in the church next to me got the spirit. <clears throat> Punched him right in the face. But I remember, I remember going to a worship service there, and uh, Jesse Duplantis was this guest speaker. I don't know if you ever heard of Jesse Duplantis. I don't know how many jets he's got, but I've heard him talking about him recently. And Jesse said, come on, let me hear you. Everybody right now with your tongues. And everyone at the same time in the entire church starts speaking in tongues. And I got really uncomfortable because that's not a gift that I have. And, and I, you know, I, I just never had seen that before where a whole room full of it. This was kind of one of those churches of about 2,000 people. And, and there, were, there were hundreds and hundreds of people speaking in tongues. But I want to tell you right here that uh, what, what Paul says that is when it comes to tongues in the worship service, <coughs> that we are to choose one, two, or three people, and uh, they have to take turns. Because the reason they're taking turns is because the content of their message matters. And because the message matters, because what they're saying actually matters, um, you must have someone there who has the gift of interpretation. Otherwise, it's just this uh, resounding gong, as Scripture calls it. And, and if you want to know more about what I think about tongues, I preached on it a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> there are a variety of opinions about tongues. Some think tongues were the spiritual gift of languages, which ceased after the apostolic age. Others think tongues are a prayer language. But here is what I know. Paul believed that tongues, which were spoken in the church of Corinth, could be edifying if they were interpreted. They could build up the church. That's what he believed. Uh, but Paul says if there's no one there with a the gift to interpret tongues, that people with that gift should be silent. So let's review the scriptural rules for tongues in worship, okay? Three or less speakers, you must take turns you must have an interpreter, otherwise be silent, okay? Let's keep going. What about rules for prophecy? 
I'll remind those who are new, and I think we said it already today, that we understand prophecy in this context to be talking about the mighty works of God. It's, it's proclaiming the truth of God. It's akin to preaching. Uh, the church in Corinth had the Old Testament, but the church in Corinth didn't yet have the New Testament. So the way they would teach about Jesus was through the prophets who had the spiritual gifting of prophesy. And, and they would proclaim Christ crucified. And Paul says when it comes to prophecy, there should be some rules to those who prophesy as well. First, not everyone needs to get up all at once or all together. Look what Paul says in verse 29. It's very similar to speaking in tongues. It's bringing order. He says this, let two or three prophets speak, and the others weigh what is said. Maybe two, maybe three guys to prophesy. And, and then you have the other prophets listen, the one, other guys who have the gift of prophecy. And those other prophets, they, they say there, and they, they weigh what is being said. In other words, they evaluate it. The prophets who are not speaking, they, they weigh or they, they judge what is being said by the one who is speaking. And what they're asking is, is this true? Is this consistent with the teachings of Jesus as we know it and the, the teachings of the apostles? And it would require discernment. So in Corinth, basically, you had a bunch, you had a couple of prophets who would teach, and then you had this bullpen of other prophets who would probably sit together and they would weigh the things that were being said, and they would ask, is this consistent with the teaching of the apostles? So my question for you today is this, um, how might you weigh the teaching of preachers today? It's different, right? We should always weigh what comes from the pulpit by the Word of God. That's our standard. And I, it would have been their standard at that time, but you need to understand, at that time in history, they did not have the New Testament. So the prophets would weigh what the other prophets would say based on the teachings of the apostles. Look at verse 30. A very interesting verse, I think. It says this, If a revelation is made to another sitting there, Let's just say someone in the bullpen. That's, that's kind of where my mind goes. If, if, if someone who's, who's a prophet who's not up to speak that day, if, if a revelation is made by one of them, it says, let the first be silent. So if someone sitting in the bullpen has a revelation, the person who's up there speaking first, uh, they will be silent and let that other prophet talk. And, and listen, there's about 100 questions I think we could ask about what does he mean by revelation and how does that work? Does the first guy sit down? But don't get lost. I think the point here is that not everyone needs to talk. And, and I think the point here is don't talk over one another. Uh, have a sense of worship or a sense of order in your worship so that the people can hear God's word. Uh, verse 31, here's what it says. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. It's about, it's about order and clearly proclaiming the message of the cross. But, but remember, if you will, a few weeks back, that there are some people in the Corinthian church who are claiming to have these um, ecstatic trances. They, they, were, they were claiming uh, very much like what happened in the, in the mystery religions. 
They were claiming to, to lose control of themselves because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and what they were trying to say is that they were, they were being taken over in such a way that they could no longer control themselves at all. And, and so, you know, if, if Paul's saying, hey, listen, only one could talk at a time, you can imagine with a situation where they were going, well, I couldn't help it. I was trying to let him talk, but the Spirit came into me, and I just, I just had to talk. I couldn't, I couldn't stop it at all. The Spirit made me do it. And the Apostle Paul would have none of that. Here's what he says in verse 32. He says, and the Spirit of prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, Prophets are not helpless to the spirit. In other words, the spirit of prophets are subject to the prophet himself. You are not out of control. Do not try and say you cannot help it. The spirit of prophecy is subject to the willpower and the conscious mind of the prophet. Paul adds a great summary verse for Christian worship, verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So let's review the rules for prophecy. Uh, two, maybe three prophets speak in worship. The rest of the prophets weigh what is said, but always take turns speaking the word of God and don't talk over one another because God is not a God of confusion and the purpose of all this is edification, the building of the house. Now the last point of order in chapter 14 has to do with Paul's instruction towards women in worship, and, and let's read that together and see what it says, verses 33 through 34. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. I read a lot of sources this week trying to understand what exactly Scripture was teaching here. There's a lot of things to plow through here, not to mention that this is going to be one of those texts that probably has an opportunity to offend people. I'm going to tell you, I'm sorry, my friends, if that's you. You are loved. Take a deep breath. Let's have the whole counsel of God handled as thoughtfully as we can. We have seen in this letter that Paul says that women are, and men are equal, but they are distinct. They are not the same. But they have the same value. They are both made in the image of God, man and woman. But man is not a woman, and woman is not a man. They have distinction. Now, what we need to try to figure out here in this text is this. In what ways does Paul say that women should participate in worship? And what kind of speech exactly is Paul prohibiting? At first glance, it seems pretty encompassing, doesn't it? <laughs> that women should not even speak at church. Look again at verses 34 through 35. We'll just read this again. The women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Okay, let me interject some other thoughts here. The first thought is this. Look at what Paul wrote just three chapters earlier. 1 Corinthians 11.5, okay? But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered 
dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. And I don't know if y'all remember this, this verse. The context for this, wor- for this verse is that there were women who were dressing in disrespect of their husband. They were, they were taking off this head covering, which was a, a covering of submission, and they were being rebellious. And Paul says that these women in their rebellion should not stand up in church and pray or preach while not wearing this head covering. But if that's the logic, what it would also seem to be saying is this, that women who are dressed and acting properly can stand up and in some sense pray and prophesy. It's an issue, it would seem for Paul, of respect of their husbands and respect of the elders within the church. And we don't fully have the context of what was happening with the women in Corinth, but there seems to be some sense of a feminist movement, some sense of rebellion and conflict going on in the church of Corinth with the women. So if women can pray and prophesy when they are submitting to proper authority in their lives, what then does Paul mean in chapter 14 when he says that women should keep silent and not speak? Well, I'm going to tell you that what many scholars will suggest is that Paul's instruction for women to be silent have to do with that time in the worship service that, that, that Paul is describing right now. He's talking about a very specific time and context when the bullpen of prophets, if you remember, are weighing what is being said by those prophets who speak. The idea is, is a woman in that time as the other prophets are, are weighing what is being said by the prophet, that there's a woman shouting her questions across the church room. And in some way, the shouting of the women across, it disrupts or it creates disorder. Scholars will say that the context for all of Paul's instruction here is this section of creating worship or creating order within the worship so that the word of God can be heard. And so look what Paul adds to this instruction as as he's talking about this. He says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. The context seems to be, if you have a question, don't shout your question out to the prophets. Instead, wait till you get home and ask your husband. I can imagine that Paul was addressing a problem. I don't know specifically what had been happening in their worship, but I can imagine there was something specifically that was happening repetitively in Corinth that Paul was trying to deal with, that this was some sort of a regular occurrence where there were women who at this time, where, the, where they were kind of going through the, the prophecy, were shouting their questions. Now, to end our section, Paul is addressing the entire church again. He's, he's addressing our three groups for sure. He's addressing those who speak in tongues, those who are prophets, and those women who ask their questions in the church. And this is what he says to them, verses 36 through 38. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he himself or he is not recognized. Paul, Paul's exercising his authority in the church. He says, if you folks consider yourself spiritual, acknowledge what I say as a command of the Lord. Now, I got to tell you, that is one of the boldest things 
that Paul ever writes that what I write to you is a command of the Lord or a commandment of the Lord. And listen, there are a ton of people who, um, because of things like what is written today, they will say, I really love Jesus. I love the, I'm a red-letter Christian, but I do not love the writings of Paul because Paul is a bigot or, or somebody who hates women or something like that. There are people who believe this. And what Paul wants everyone in this church in Corinth to understand is that what he writes is a command of the Lord, and that if anyone does not recognize this, then that person will not be recognized. That's how seriously Paul takes the need for order in the worship service. If you say you're spiritual, you'll recognize that order in worship allows us all to hear the words of life. And Paul ends with these two verses. We'll read them together. And, and, and I was, as I was thinking about these verses, it kind of brings balance. And I can imagine that the people who are arguing here are at some point charismatics on one end who, who really want to see the, the, you know, tongues be everywhere and prophecy be everywhere. And then these people who really want order, we'll call them Presbyterians, okay? Right? Imagine that these, these are kind of two different groups that exist within the church in Corinth. And Paul ends with, I think, you know, one verse that the, that, that the charismatics really like and one verse that, that the Presbyterians really like because it kind of brings order to both and it allows the other one not to overreach. We'll start with the one that the Charismatics probably like. Verse 39. That's what Paul says. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Right? If you could see why if you were given towards uh, celebrating charismatic gifts that this would be encouraging to you that they had told the Presbyterians not to forbid you to speak in tongues and to desire prophecy. But then Paul gives a verse for those in the church in Corinth who are probably more like Presbyterians. He says this, verse 40, but all things should be done decently and in order. So there's this balance of using the spiritual gifts and doing so in a way that is decently in good order. And I guess that's the tension we carry into worship. We want our worship to be spirit-filled. We want to use our gifts, but not in a way that distracts from the word of God. Our text today might not inspire you to love your neighbor. I mean, it's, it's kind of, the center of it wasn't that. And so it could feel like unfulfilling to hear this today. Like, I really wanted to come and hear about loving my neighbor. And, and it might not even remind you today as we read this about the grace of Jesus, but it is an important word of God. And it's important to have the full counsel of his word. It's important to know what the Bible says about worship. It's important that our worship has an order which clearly articulates the word of God and allows us to worship in unity and peace and it edifies the people. This has been our teaching from 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, the things that you teach us about ordering your worship service. God, may it, may it be so in the life of Lakeside that we order it in such a way uh, that the word of God is clear to understand and is central and it is, it is proclaimed for all to hear and that the songs bring joy and testify about the gospel of grace. Christ, we come to you today uh, knowing that we are sinners Sinners who, who every week run back to our sin like a dog returns to its vomit.
Sinners who uh, many times in our life fail to have conviction and continue to embrace the things uh, for which you really went to the cross to die for. And so by your spirit, would you lead us to a place where we hate our sin and we seek righteousness for your namesake? Would you convict us where we are happy with our sin, where we are content with our sin? Father, send your spirit for our conviction and our growth in all things. And the church said, amen.